Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Sunday. This is an emergency edition of the Parastyle Podcast. We are driving down the 5 freeway coming from Santa Clara where USC lost uh, to Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game in convincing fashion. Uh, I'm with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist. A lot of people writing in about the team and what was going on, so we wanted to do an emergency podcast. This doesn't get more emergency than this, Dan. We're on the road on the freeway recording this as we go. We got a few hours to kill, so we thought, hey, why don't we just start talking some Trojan football, full-on emergency. You know, you get the big earthquake in LA, uh, power's out for a while. You have to dig into that emergency box of yours, eat some cold spam and opening up bottles of water and trying to use that multi-tool that you've never taken out of the package, all that kind of stuff. This is about as big of an emergency as it gets. We apologize, there's no introduction. We don't, we're not gonna take any questions. Uh, the auto quality might not be that great because we're recording on my phone as we're driving down the freeway, but we wanted to give you guys a little something about what we thought of the game. And so I'm here sitting next to Dan Weber as we're driving down the freeway. What's up, Dan? How are you, man? Uh, yeah, we're kind of, you know, like we uh, when we run into USC fans as we have along the way, uh, they all want to know what the heck's going on, what's going to happen, how's this going to turn out. And uh, not that we uh, absolutely know, but we've got some thoughts about it. And uh, we know uh, from your correspondence already uh, the thoughts that a lot of you guys have. So uh, that's kind of where we're going to go with this and uh, you know, see where we end up. Yeah, so uh, we kind of, we actually, to be fully behind the curtain, we recorded one of these and the audio quality was pretty terrible. So we're trying it again. So we did this whole kind of podcast for about an hour already. But we got many hours on the freeway, so we're going to try it off again. Uh, we kind of split it up. I just wanted, we're not going to take any questions. We'll split it up to like offense, defense, special teams, coaching staff. We want to talk in some pregame stuff because you have the uh, all-century team for the Pac-12. And just kind of like what the experience was like, not only driving up here, but just what it was like at Levi Stadium and stuff. So maybe we'll start with that, Dan. We, we both drove up on Saturday morning early, driving back on Sunday. Um, and, you know, the, but neither of us had been to Levi Stadium before. I think there's some really cool stuff and some... You know some different stuff i guess about it yeah it was uh pretty much a usc kind of a deal obviously you're driving up and you're seeing a lot of usc guys but as we got to you know levi stadium you know the last few blocks you got usc people you know coming in you get into this uh, uh really bad parking lot uh, unless you have a tesla and you get to park within 100 feet of the uh, <laughs> for the charging station uh if you can find it um but uh USC fans dominated in the tailgate. I mean, they were there early. Um, I know, you know, people were thinking half the stadium was USC. It was impressive. Uh, it was the kind of thing, you know, you have to feel good about if you're a USC, you know, until the game started. It was uh, something to really, you know, feel good about uh, from a USC point of view. Uh, as far as the Levi Stadium, um, I mean, the best thing about it is uh, the fact that there were so many USC guys there on the all-century team. And, uh, you know, seeing the, you know, Marcus Allen and Ronnie Lott, the defensive player of the century, and uh, J.K. McKay there to accept the award for the uh, coach of the century and his Dan John McKay. Uh, you know, you really had a sense this is a USC deal, you know, that you got going here. And Marcus Allen was there. And, uh, Joey Browner and Ron Yeri and just uh, a lot of reminders of uh, you know what made USC football great and then uh, you know Reggie Bush uh, you know comes by and, uh, and goes to the locker room he wasn't listed among 
he was invited, you know, by the Pac-12 networks to be there. Um, apparently went into the uh, locker room on his own. Uh, whether that's uh, still legit or not, it's something that you know USC's been willing to actually fight the NCAA over. Uh, the, you know, the kind of the lifetime ban that they placed on Reggie. Of all the people in the history of college sports, he's the guy banned for the lifetime. I mean, it's just makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's typical NCAA, but worse than uh, because it's USC. So, uh, how that's going to play out, I don't know. I think it was probably another distraction. The players got all excited uh, with you know Reggie being there, and then went out and played the uh, least exciting half of football that we've seen at USC in a long, long, long time. So I'm not sure you know that that, that worked out all that well. But uh, you know, it was kind of a USC day. Uh, all the way up to advantage the first half was that darn if they didn't come back and take the lead in the third quarter. Yeah. 16 to 13, you know, that they were leading uh, the last time, uh, you know, and uh, didn't do them any good when Sanford outscored them 31 to 10 uh, down the stretch. And uh, in this game, it was, uh, I think we figured it out, it was uh, you know, 28, to, 28 to 6 or something like that. And uh, so. Not a good finish, uh, a good start, and uh, a lot of, you know, things to look forward to, and that's where the game's going to be next year and the year after, and um, again, Stanford's won three of those, chances they'll be there next year, even without Kevin Hogan, uh, but McCaffrey will be back, and if you wanted to have Saturday a tribute to Reggie Bush, uh, Christian McCaffrey and his number five that he wears uh, in honor of Reggie Bush was the guy. Uh, he was spectacular. And uh, again, to remind you, he and Hogan were so good that he reminded it reminded you of the days when USC had those kinds of players in their backfield. And uh, that's probably what it's going to take to have that happen again. Um, yeah, so for Levi Stadium, I think overall it was an interesting experience. But, you know, it wasn't that full. The, the, the announced attendance was like 55,000 people or something like that. And we know there was a lot of people having issues kind of getting into the stadium and this is on a Saturday every other year when Fox has the game they have it on a Friday which is going to be even tougher I don't know if, if the Pac-12 should go to the home field kind of thing um, as opposed to this or maybe do a Los Angeles one when you know when they get an NFL kind of stadium there I'm not sure if, if this is the future uh, having it something like Levi Stadium yeah certainly not Friday night but again I think um, Larry Scott had a press conference before um, the game and he basically said, hey, you know, we, we get you a little bit more money from the network so they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. They want to schedule, you know, 33% of the games uh, as late night games. Well, that's, uh, and he pretty much said, you know, hey, you guys told me to try to get as much money as I could. So that's the only way I can do it. And uh, I know you don't like it that uh, they're televising two or three games at the same time. And the Pac-12 probably gets short shrift when that happens. Uh, but, you know, he's pretty much saying there's nothing they can do about it. And uh, they're going to talk to him, but they have no, no ability to, to do or say anything. And on a year like this year, that really is probably has some impact when people, you know, east of the Mississippi have no idea who Christian McCaffrey is. The idea that this guy who broke Barry Sanders' uh, all, you know, all-around uh, yardage record you know, one of the records that people didn't think would ever be broken uh, this year. A guy who, uh, you know, has two games this year where
you know, I mean, they really, they didn't happen. And it's, you know, if you're going to be a run first team, you can't jump off sides. You cannot, you know, get false starts. You can't have bad snaps. You can't do it. And if you're going to do it, you can't be a run first team because you're always going to be, you know, second and 11. Now what do you do? Um, so just really badly prepared. I mean, you know, the offensive, um, excuse me, the uh, wide receivers, obviously, you know, Gigi's not close to 100%. Steven Mitchell's not close to 100%. The guys who are don't get any shot in the game. Uh, and you end up, you know, the tight ends don't get a shot. Um, you know, the, one of the big plays of the game, they try to throw the ball to the quarterback. Uh, it was just a hodgepodge of, uh, of not what you needed to do. And uh, everybody's saying, very graphic, graphic, I guess, on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, I think one thing that worked last week, Dan, was that they kind of went to more power formations where you had fullbacks in there and Cody was under center. They seemed to get away from that. I think they only did it once or twice in the whole game. I don't, I don't know what the the rationale kind of behind that was. Well, and the one time they did it, they ran play action pass. They did get a touchdown to, you know, Jaleel Pinner. I mean, it's kind of sad when you have to run play action uh, off power from the one-yard line. Yeah. But that's what they did, and it worked, and they got a touchdown. But uh, to me, that's almost still grab baggy. Uh, but, uh, you're, you know, you'll take it. But, uh, yeah, this, this was not a, a well-oiled machine. This was not a, you know, a team that, you know, can't wait to get the ball and line up and do what we do best, you know, and, and you would say to them, and what would that be? <laughs> that best that you do. And I don't know that they can tell you. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. What is the best? You know, what play would you want to see? And, you know, the game starts with a, uh, with Cody sprinting right, you know, like 18 yards and throwing the ball 20 yards for a one-yard completion. And you think, what the hell is that? What's going on here? I mean, Stanford isn't going to let you do anything to them on the sidelines. I mean, haven't they proven that over the years? That they're going to knock you around. They're not going to miss the tackles. Uh, they're not going to let you block them. I mean, they all have great speed and great athletes, but they got guys who will take the right angles, and they got guys who will take, take you down. And why do you keep running that and getting these three and four yards at a time? I mean, it's just not... It doesn't make any sense. It's really mind-boggling. In the second half, when they started attacking them quick and uh, running slants, you know, over the middle and the things they haven't been doing, those suckers work. Uh, they were running power, uh, you know, behind Zach Banner and getting up ahead of, ahead of steam. And uh, they could, you know, overpower Stanford. Stanford does not have a, you know, a big, strong, deep uh, defensive line like they've had. And, 
Packers. That's where most, I guess, the criticism is, even though, like we said, the, defense, the offense had uh, left a lot to be desired in that game. Um, thought they played really aggressive against UCLA, and I think, you know, talking to some of the guys in the locker room afterwards, it seemed like they, they backed off that a little bit. Not as much man, not as much blitzing. What did, what did you think about what went Yeah, and I think this is the thing you worry about is that Jesse will make a decision not to do something because they're afraid of what might happen. And I think in, in the Stanford case, they're afraid if you play man, and you got guys trailing receivers. Uh, what if Hogan decides, I'm going to scramble on this play? And Hogan takes off running, and you got your secondary guys running down the field with their backs to the line of scrimmage, and here's Hogan running right up behind them. And I know that's you know one of the negatives about you know playing man against a, a quarterback as athletic as he is, except, except for the fact that USC can't play any other way. They're not any good playing any other way. They have horrific breakdowns when they play the other way. So you're not giving up anything. You're, you know, when, if you looked at the you know, completed passes that killed USC, how often were they defending? Uh, you know, how often was somebody anywhere near, you know, Hogan when he caught the touchdown pass uh, from McCaffrey? Uh, McCaffrey when he caught that 67-yard backbreaker that, uh, you know, got Stanford back, you know, the lead back uh, soon thereafter. Um, all of those things, USC doesn't defend very well. And if you give Stanford the ability to control the clock and push the ball down the field, which USC did by just sitting there and waiting and just getting, you know, knocked off the line of scrimmage uh, and not penetrating and not taking chances and not trying to play on the Stanford side of the line of scrimmage and not trying to, you know, give, make Hogan uh, uncomfortable. I mean, they talk about, this is two games now where they talk about trying to make him uncomfortable. I can't imagine. What are they talking about? Christian McCaffrey 
gets the triple-triple with, you know, more than 100 yards rushing, more than 100 yards receiving, and more than 100 yards in the return game, they make him look like a Heisman candidate, and he actually is a Heisman candidate, and maybe USC helped him get it, uh, you, know, you know, at least get to New York, I think USC gets an assist on that, but I mean, how, how can you be that bad against a quarterback one week and then a, a running back the next week and not really have a plan to slow that person down? Yeah, I got the sense after the game that the USC kids wanted to get Christian McCaffrey's autograph. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty, you know, pretty strikingly, you know, sad. And it wasn't because, uh, you know, he was all they had. I mean, they made Christian, you know, they made Kevin Hogan look about as good as he didn't need to throw the ball very much. But, uh, you know, he threw a touchdown pass, caught a touchdown pass, and ran for a touchdown, the same as McCaffrey. And to have that happen, Two different two guys. players. I mean, it's only <laughs> happened once each of the last two years. Only one guy in college football has accomplished that in 2014 and 2013. And here USC gives up two of those to two different Cardinal guys in the same game, in the championship game of the Pac-12. That's just unacceptable. That's ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know. And then here USC tries to run the same kind of, you know, tailback quarterback throwback and they got no shot at working up. I mean, you know, Stanford's open by, you know, 12 yards and USC runs it and they're not open by 12 inches. They're not open by, you know, 12 centimeters when they try to throw it back to Cody. And it's just um, on that two-point play. So, um, couldn't look any more uh, ill-prepared, any more ready to play, um, any more uh, with a good idea of exactly how you're going to win this game. It looked like you're out there hoping something good happens in the deep sand. We said over and over again, uh, you know, it's not a cliche. Hope is not a plan. Yeah. It really isn't. And for USC fans and for this team, that may be all they've got right now. Uh, on the special team side, I don't want to go too much into it, but what did you think? I mean, I thought that was a, a point of emphasis, I guess, for Clay Helton that they wanted because it, it was terrible against Oregon. It's been terrible in other games. I thought they played pretty good against UCLA, but kind of slipped back again with some, some gaffes and just not, well, not, you know. Yeah, I think Chris I think Chris Alvarado had a pretty good day punting the ball. I think coverage was, uh, they did a pretty good job on coverage. I mean, I think they, you know, if you couldn't focus on the fact that that's Christian McCaffrey back there uh, returning punts and kickoffs, I, I thought both of those, they were, they were definitely acceptable. You know, the fact that, um, you know, they get a, you know, the numbers uh, are that uh, for Stanford's extra point kicker, Conrad Yucapina, he's got 67 straight now. Pretty good job. That's kind of how you want to do it if you're a good, you know, team. And for USC's Alex Wood, he's got one in a row. Uh, and for getting the first one blocked in this game. And that's just another example, you know, the early plays that don't look like they're going anywhere, the early penalties. Then, you you know, you finally come back. You get a score. You're fired up. You know, you're, it's going to be 13 to 10. And then you get, you know, you get a, uh, you get a block. And now it's 13 to 9. And that actually really matters. You know, yeah. 13 10 is one, you know, and then 13 9 is a whole different story. It's those kinds of breakdowns that are just unacceptable at, at the level USC is at. And yet we've seen them, you know, game after game, year after year. You don't know where they're coming, but it's the kind of thing that would make guys not trust one another and say, gosh, I don't know if, uh, you know, maybe I need to do more. You know, they, they so often say, no, no, you got to just do your job and trust everybody. 
special teams, Dan. Really, I thought it was one of the bigger plays of the game, and it was a special teams gaffe. So USC takes the lead, um, Stanford comes down and, and takes the lead back and kicks off to USC, and looks like Adore Jackson's gonna field around the five, and Justin Davis comes over and basically cuts in front of Adore, catches it, Adore knocks him down, so basically you tackle yourself on the five, and there's a penalty on the play, so USC starts off at their two and a half yard line. They actually moved the ball a little bit, but they were starting such a hole. Cody gets the sack, you know, fumble, scoop score, and game's over. I don't know if that happens if you don't have to start from your own two and a half yard line, but what did you think about that play? Well, to be honest, I've tried to wipe that play out of my memory. That's like so many bad things at once. Just the thought <laughs> that someone on the USC team would run backwards sideways to cut in front of Adore is just crazy. I mean, it's just, you know, what you hope for is that he gets a, a shorter kickoff at the five, yeah. right in the middle of the field. So now you're tracking the ball down and you run into him and you, uh, you know, you fall down and then you get, you know, you get a penalty on the plate on top of that. I mean, that's just, that's just poor, poor coaching, yeah. poor preparation, poor every, every, you know, there's nothing about that that says anything good. I mean, that's just, and, you uh, know, Stanford doesn't do a play like that. And that's a play that could really doom, you know, USC was on the comeback and they're not good enough, I think, to overcome big mistakes when they're on a comeback trail and that was a huge mistake they, 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 there's no way they could overcome it yeah not with this offense now I mean if Sanford can you know basically try to pin you back and keep coming and, and as they did and uh, take shots at Cody and knowing that well maybe we'll get somebody will break down somebody will uh, not pick somebody up and we'll get a shot at the football and David Shaw said that that's what they knew that they thought they had to make a couple of those kinds of game-breaking plays, and that's what would make the difference. And he kind of complimented USC with having athletes, and they're, you know, tougher than they were, and they're physical, and they do some things that make it hard on you, but he said we knew that, you know, there would be a point where we'd have to be the one that made the game-turning plays, and they did, and they had that sense of, you know, that'll be there for us, but it wouldn't have been there if USC not cooperated with that, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of those ones where so much wrong with that play, you really don't even want to think about it. Because that, that, you know, what are they doing in practice that Justin Davis would ever think that he's supposed to go back and field that uh, that kickoff? I mean, did he think, you know, Adore had left the field? I mean, that's exactly what you're looking for. That, that five-yard line ball uh, in the middle of the field that gives Adore a chance to go, you know, either way. Well, let's talk about the coaching aspect for the last part of the podcast. It's just, it was a really weird week leading up to uh, this game. I, you know, obviously, I don't think USC handled it well. We talked about the timing of the announcement. I get if you wanted Clay Helton, but to announce him on Monday, five days before the, the Pac-12 championship, I don't think he did anybody any favors by doing that. You know, you're talking Tuesday of practice of a distraction because Helton's named the coach. You break the victory bell in, people are still talking about the UCLA game up until Thursday. It just seemed like the way this was handled leading up to the Pac-12 championship game was terrible and probably exactly the polar opposite of what Stanford was doing leading up to the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, I guarantee there were not those kinds of distractions. And when you, I know people would say, but it's USC football. There have to be distractions. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing uh, you know, from week to week. Any you know, disaster could be happening. you got to 
coaching search went, then when it, you know, is revealed what exactly happened, nobody's very happy about how it happened, even if they like play. Uh, so you've got all of that going. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't have a lot of focus on the first ever, you know, championship, Pac-12 championship game for USC. And then you get a, you know, that kind of a one-sided loss that is absolutely the last thing you wanted to come out of that game. And, um, you know, that you end the season on two, you know, routes in the final three weeks. That, you know, if you think that UCLA game was something you can hang your hat on, uh, maybe not. You know, that's not, you know, and, and USC, and one of the reasons we said this is not a great, great, big, big rivalry, is USC shouldn't be hanging its hat on how it does against UCLA. If, you know, you want to be at, how do you do against Stanford? How do you do against Oregon? How do you do against next year Alabama? You know, you can't hang your hat on the UCLA game. you got to beat UCLA and move on. That's what Stanford does. You know, Stanford beats them and moves on. Oregon beats them and moves on. USC has to do that exact same thing. But with all the factors that went into last week, they really could. I mean, obviously, you haven't beaten them in three years. That makes it kind of a big deal. And then, you you know, you hire uh, a permanent new head coach that for no reason that anybody can discern. Now, obviously, if you look at it now, uh, would, would this coming Monday, would they still be naming, head, you know, Clay Helton as the head coach? As much as you say, well, it didn't matter, the UCLA game, that didn't change anybody's thinking. Would this game have changed anybody's thinking? Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing they probably would not be naming him on Monday yeah. of this week. Uh, and did they know that? You know, are they thinking, gosh, we better do it now. Otherwise, while, people will be happy with it, yeah. While we can, you know, we'll get a week out of this, and, and we'll look good until, you know, poor President McGee is standing on the sidelines with the chairman of the board of trustees. And <laughs> at the end of that game, at least they were there. Yeah. And they had to, you know, but the, the looks on their faces were not like, uh, wow, we, uh, we did the right thing this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I, I really do feel like it was, Clay Hilton's stock was an all-time high. That's the one they wanted, so let's name them now. Not doing yourself any favors by doing that, not giving yourself the best chance to win the Pac-12 championship game. But it would be a lot harder to float that boat on Monday, tomorrow, as opposed to last Monday coming off the win over UCLA. And I, I don't think that's right, but I think the problem is a lot of the people that were like kind of on the fence, but you beat UCLA, they're like, yeah, let's give Clay Hilton a chance. A lot of those people, I think, have switched back, and they're like, well, why did you name them, like, you know, at that point? It's it's a really weird spot. There was a rush this hire. If you wanted him, fine, but I think you could have waited and you could have done it in a better way. You just, it's, it's like you botched a hire again, even if you got the right guy. Well, there was no upside to doing it this way, and that's the problem. And there's no upside for Clay, other than he's got the job and a, uh, you know, five-year contract, we're told. Uh, and uh, now he's got uh, some serious pressure going into the bowl game. Uh, and uh, even though it's a game, USC's, USC's going to be favored in this bowl game. Uh, and they better play like it. Uh, and they better, you know, get I mean, one of the things that happens now is, uh, you know, if they get a late enough bowl game, and they get the 15 practices. I mean, basically, that's an extra spring practice. Now, who do they do it with? This current coaching staff? Uh, you know, we all think this staff is 
thing in the world. Do you think Nick Saban would sit back in this situation and say, you know what, we can just let this go. We'll get it going. <laughs> we'll get it in spring. No. No. Urban Meyer, no. Uh, so you make it really, really, really important. And we'll see if it's important enough or not. Or will they just kind of say, well, I know most of these guys aren't going to be here. But uh, it wouldn't be very nice to you know, tell them to take a walk uh, at this point. So I, I think you know there are some opportunities. And there are some opportunities that could be missed. And we'll see which way they go. But it could send a message to the team, to the fans, to everybody. And to the administration if, if you have to bring them on board. And you have to explain to them, this is why we have to do what we're going to do right now and make it happen. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We'll uh, wrap up our emergency on the Five Freeway podcast. Hopefully this one <laughs> turned out a little better. I think I published the other one, so I apologize if you guys couldn't hear that. That's why we're taping a second one. Um, but thanks very much for uh, tuning in. We'll have more podcasts, of course, uh, this week. We just felt, yeah, we'll just spend the time driving on the freeway talking to you guys a little about some USC football. So I hope you guys enjoyed our Emergency Sunday Parasol podcast. We'll be back this week with a bunch more. Check out uscfootball.com for all the information.